commence today's show talking politics with the creator and publisher of the morning hangover democratic strategist and la times contributor kurt bardella kurt how are you today sir I'm doing well, my friend. How are you? If I complained, I'd be an ingrate. I am doing well. I'm delighted to, uh, to be uh, <laughs> to be in conversation with you. Let me just jump in and make the most of these times, uh, th- these moments that we have here. Uh, I think I want to start with this. A lot of trending political news to get to, as there seems to be every day these days. Uh, but the big news mm-hmm. domestically, we'll come to the international stuff in a moment. Uh, of course, the Israel-Hamas uh, war ongoing, and there's a lot uh, of news to talk about there over the last 24 hours. But um, uh, this government shutdown, uh, in some ways, is looming later this week. Uh, on the other hand, I'm starting to hear rumblings. I'm live on the air, obviously, so I don't know what's happening at this very second, but I know that there's a vote scheduled for today. Um, the new speaker, Mike Johnson, is trying to push through this two-step, this l- layered, laddered approach, if you will. Um, he is catching hell from his conservative flank who are upset that uh, there aren't spending cuts in this. Uh, we're, it's a two-step process, but the funding levels remain uh, where they are now. So his right flank, uh, the flank that pushed him, in fact, uh, to become the speaker, is falling out with him once again. The Democrats uh, aren't crazy about this approach, and yet they don't want the government to shut down. Uh, so we'll see what Hakeem Jeffries and the Democrats do today. But this is a quagmire if ever there is one, ever was one. I said yesterday on this program, and I said weeks ago for that matter, I don't know that Mike Johnson is going to suffer a fate any different than Kevin McCarthy eventually. I'm not sure it's going to be this week. What say you then all that said about the government shutdown uh, that we hope uh, won't transpire later this week? Well, it's very clear that MAGA Mike is way in over his head Mm. and has no business sitting at the adults table because he has no earthly idea what he's doing, which is what happens when you promote someone from, you know, literal political obscurity to being in, you know, the speaker of the house and most powerful positions in all of government. Uh, I don't understand what Mike thinks is going to happen if he passes this uh, continuing resolution approach with Democrat support and not the majority of his conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, is, that, that is no different than the predicament that Kevin McCarthy found himself in, and it was the nail in the coffin of his reign as speaker. Precisely. I also don't know why Democrats would be actually bailing Johnson out right now without at least extracting something in return. Uh, I think that the idea of a two-tiered laddered approach is completely idiotic. Why on earth would we create not one but two deadlines for government funding to potentially lapse and shutdowns to commence uh, in a you know tiered, staggered approach? That's twice the votes that have to be taken. That's twice the negotiating that would have to happen. These guys can't even get one thing done. Mm-hmm. What on earth makes anyone think two of them is a good idea? I don't see the point of it. Yep. Um, I take your point. And yet when we come forward, I want to come right back to the issue you raised a moment ago about why Democrats should bail uh, him out. I've raised this issue before. Uh, on the one end, it can be viewed as bailing uh, MAGA Mike, as you called him, Mike Johnson, the speaker. Uh, on the one end, it can be viewed as bailing him out. On the other hand, you don't bail him out. The government shuts down. It ain't like Democrats got a great choice. Just getting started with Kurt Bardella on Tavis Smiley. Seeking the truth. The truth. Speaking, Speaking the, truth. the truth. This, this is the Tavis Smiley, Smiley Show. Sounds different. Huh. This, this is Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley in conversation with Democratic strategist uh, Kurt Bardella 
who I'm delighted to have on to uh, to uh, commence today to commence if I can say it commence today's show. Um, if I just use a regular small word like begin, I might have gotten it out easier. Uh, anyway, uh, Kurt, <laughs> good to have you on our program. Um, so you made a powerful point about the fact that uh, we have to do this not once but twice if we follow the plan that uh, Speaker Mike Johnson has laid out. But I don't know what what option Democrats have. Um, it's 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 plausible. Uh, and certainly strategic. Uh, okay, there goes Kurt's phone line. Uh, let's get Kurt back on the line, and uh, I will lay out where I want to go while we get him back. Uh, it's live radio. That stuff happens from time to time. Um, I was about to say to Kurt that I'm not sure what choice, uh, what options Democrats have. On the one hand, um, you could uh, not bail him out, uh, that is to say Speaker Johnson, and yet the government shuts down. And I'm not sure that Democrats want to be a party to anything that shuts down the government right around the holidays, particularly when, as we discussed on this program yesterday, the persons who are first in line to be hurt, always, always, always the most uh, vulnerable. The poor and the vulnerable are always the first in line to be impacted by any government shutdown. So if Democrats uh, refuse to bail him out, if they don't support this plan, then the government shuts down around the holiday season. They are in part responsible for that, uh, and their constituency gets hurt the most. Uh, on the other hand, uh, they bailed this guy out, and one can uh, read that as aiding and abetting uh, the opposition. So, Kurt, I'm not sure Democrats are in a great slot. Your thoughts? I think that Democrats need to play hardball. I think Democrats need to say, if you want our votes because you can't get a majority of your conference, you need to give us something. That's negotiation 101. Uh, Republicans have the majority in the House of Representatives. They are in control. They have the authority. The idea that it would in any way be Democrats' fault that the majority can't do their job, that the majority can't put together a proposal that can get the majority of votes that they need, that's on them. That's not on Democrats. Um, I don't understand why we would put ourselves in a position and set the precedent that going forward, we're just going to rubber stamp whatever Speaker Johnson wants to do uh, because he can't govern his own people uh, while getting nothing in return, nothing for Ukraine, nothing for Israel. Uh, I, I don't see why we would be doing that as Democrats. I think that's strategically a terrible idea. And you're just letting him off the hook. And then we're just going to, you know what the prize is? We get to go do this again in January. Yeah, twice. yeah, yeah. Not yeah, once, yeah. but yeah. twice. Yeah. Let, 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 me, let me challenge you on that just because I, just cause I, like, I like picking a fight every now and then. So, so, so pardon me <laughs> for, for wanting to pick a fight. Um, so I, I hear your point about the majority not being able to figure its way out of a wet paper bag. I, I, I get that point. And yet that's a cynical way of looking at government. Is government really about the majority party? Uh, or is it about we the people? In other words, if Democrats and Republicans are elected to represent us uh, and shutting down the government hurts all of us, starting with, again, the poor and the most vulnerable, is it, is it, is it really sort of, it, is it sort of myopic uh, to, to, to have? And I, I, I'm not naive. And again, I'm playing devil's advocate. But is it sort of myopic to look at it as majority versus minority versus a government that works for all of us? Well, I would, I would agree with you that it should be that way, but we aren't that removed from the fact that one of the two parties in America tried to you know, throw out a free and fair election mm -hmm. on that very floor of the House of Representatives. The night of January 6th voted against certifying the, the clear, decisive, and legal victory of Joe Biden. They've withdrawn from the Democrat experiment. They have made it a majority versus minority situation. And again, it's like they are the ones that are in the majority. It's their job to get this done. If you want Democrat votes, then we need to fight for Democrat priorities. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to get something in return for that. 
And, and right now we're not. All we're getting is a process that will be even more complicated and contentious a month and a half from now. Right, so what, so like, I, I don't get why we're doing this. No, I, I take your point. Let me, let me just press this one more time. We'll move on. I'm going to cover some other issues with you. So I hear your point. And strategically, again, I'm not stuck on stupid. I'm not naive. I get it. Strategically, play hardball. Understood. But when they play hardball and the government shuts down, I repeat for the third time, the persons that are going to get hurt first and fastest are the poor and the vulnerable, and that is the Democratic constituency. So there's a price Democrats, my point is there's a price they're going to pay for playing hardball if they let this thing shut down this week. Well, I think that the price is even super, though, if you let Republicans continue to do what they want to do, which is defund every single Democrat priority. Uh, and we're going to be right back where we are today in January. It's, it'd be different if this was a permanent one-year continuing resolution that put an end to the cycle of kicking the can down the road. But instead, it's just a temporary patchwork. And someone's going to have to explain to me what will be different in January than today. Nothing's going to change. We're going to be having the same conversation 72 hours before the government partially shuts down in January. So if we're going to go through the pain of keeping of, of repeating this insane cycle, Democrats should be getting something back for it. All right, that's the government shutdown, Kurt. Um, I'll, I'll leave that where it is for now. I'm sure I'll come back to this tomorrow and the next day, whether I want to or not. <laughs> it's an issue uh, that matters to everyday people, as it should. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see where we are on this uh, fight tomorrow. Again, a vote scheduled for today, and we'll see uh, if this uh, continuing resolution gets through today uh, while we're live on the air. Um, but again, that's where we are on that issue at the moment. Let me move now. Um, to Donald Trump, uh, whether, again, I want to or not. Uh, Trump, all of the news for a couple of things. I want to get your temperature on, Kurt. First, in the news, because he is insisting, demanding that there be cameras in the courtroom <clears throat> for his federal case. We know the case, of course, has been ongoing in New York uh, about his overinflating uh, his, his worth and value of his company. Uh, that's the case brought by Letitia James, the attorney general, the sister AG in the state of New York. Uh, we're talking now <clears throat> about the case in the black judge, speaking of black women, Judge Tanya Chutkin's courtroom in D.C. This is the case brought by the federal government, Jack Smith, the special prosecutor. And in this federal case, uh, Donald Trump is insisting, uh, his team is insisting that this case be, this trial be televised. That is not the case. Uh, typically in federal court or the Supreme Court, we don't televise those cases. Uh, and yet he's arguing that it ought to be. In this particular instance, I'm not so sure that I disagree with Donald Trump. My reasons for wanting to see this thing televised are different than his. But what do you make of his making this case that this trial ought to be televised? Uh, you know, I, anytime that Trump is out there trying to advocate for something, it makes me think that just by default, there's something else going on there. It's not that straightforward. Uh, we know that Donald Trump is not someone who is on the side of transparency and openness. Uh, and, and I look at, you know, Jack Smith has you know, brought down the hammer on Trump and pushed back against the suspicious thing to have this criminal trial televised. Uh, you know, Smith knows exactly what Trump is trying to, you know, trying to plan here. Um, and I just don't take anything that Donald Trump does at face value. There's always something, another ulterior motive uh, that works against you know, the public's interest that, that you know, explains his activities. Um, obviously, trials and federal courts are not usually televised. Uh, you know, the, the effort by you know, having these what I call MAGA cameras uh, put forward is really a, a transparent effort to demand special treatment to try this case in the courtroom of public opinion and turn the trial into a media event, terrain that we know Donald Trump is very, very comfortable in, rather than actually having it be about the fact the case, uh, you know, prosecutors 
correctly pointed out in their filing, uh, you know, that broadcasting trial can put the witnesses in danger and leave them open to intimidation efforts, something we've seen Donald Trump and his allies time and again not hesitate to unleash their twisted and unhinged uh, supporters uh, against people that they think are threats. And so I think that, uh, you know, the idea that this would be, you know, trial by press uh, could very much impact the actual case and really put witnesses in jeopardy. And let, let me just play devil's advocate. I don't, I don't know where you are, Kurt, but all of a sudden you got background noise there. And I don't know why people think they can do radio interviews with, in spaces with background noise, but I digress on that point for now. Um, my, my, let, me, let me play devil's advocate right quick, though. Um, we don't typically um, have cameras in these courtrooms, I, as I said that a moment ago, in the federal court or in the Supreme Court. And yet, this is a very unique case. Uh, this is a former president <clears throat> who is accused uh, on a, of a variety of things, including trying to overthrow the government. And I would argue that if ever there were a trial that ought to be seen on television, it is one that involves a former U.S. president uh, who is accused of the kinds of heinous crimes, uh, the ugly, vicious crimes that he is accused of. Why should the American people be denied an opportunity to see that live and in living color? If ever you're going to break the rules, I would think now is the time to do that. I understand Trump's arguments and my arguments, not his arguments. But I think that the, the greater level of transparency doesn't hurt the American public. It does not hurt our democracy. Well, I understand the point of that. But again, I, I just draw the line at why are we treating Donald Trump differently than anybody else? Like he does not get special treatment. And if he wants this done, then I think if he thinks this helps him, then by default, I don't think we should do it. And I trust that Jack Smith uh, knows what he's talking about. And just imagine what would happen if we allow cameras in there. Trump basically puts a target on every single witness. Uh, all of a sudden, every witness is being harassed, threatened with violence, potentially uh, assaulted or hurt or, 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 or murdered. Well, then what, what are we going to be saying about the, the wisdom opening cameras in the room and breaking precedent for the first time? Because that's what's going to happen. The MAGA people will unleash their band of domestic terrorists on anyone who speaks out against Donald Trump. We, we would be putting a target on the back of any witness no, I think, in but, that proceeding if we televise it. You respectfully, I think you're naive in that. I say respectfully because, I, I, number one, you act as if when these persons come to testify that the general public ain't going to know who they are anyway. Are you? Are, do, do you really believe that if you're testifying in this case, we're not going to know who you are? The national news media is going to is going to ensure that we know who you are anyway. Number one, so you, you can't hide because the cameras are in the courtroom. Number one, and number two, I think the exact opposite: that the greater the transparency, the greater the openness, the greater we can see. Uh, it's like it's like daylight is the best antiseptic. So I don't think that trying to hide it under the cover of darkness in any way aids and abets anybody involved in this case. Well, then why don't we just put every single court case on television then? I ain't got a problem with that either. I mean, I, 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 I'm all for transparency. So you, you, ain't, you, ain't, you, ain't, you ain't getting a rise out of me in that regard. <laughs> I am not at all against. I think there ought to be cameras in the Supreme Court. I believe that across the board, greater transparency is always a good thing. Uh, and so I, I hear your point. I'll move on. I just think we disagree on that one. Let me, let me go now um, to Joe Biden. We talked about Donald Trump. Let me go to Joe Biden. Um, if you're reading this, Kurt, the same way I'm reading it, uh, and I suspect you are, whether we agree or not on on how on, on what we see, uh, we're looking at the same stuff. And Joe Biden is starting to get every day a greater level of pushback on this Israel policy. Um, it's not just the protests that are happening in this country from California to the Carolinas. It's not just the protests happening globally. In the last 24, 48 hours, we've seen congressional aides 
walk out of their offices and have a protest on the steps of the Capitol. Uh, and now today, big story of the New York Times, 400 uh, uh, government employees uh, beyond those on the Capitol have now signed a letter to the president uh, critiquing uh, his Israel policy. And people are demanding a ceasefire. The point I'm getting into without elongating this is that there is greater pressure on him every day from all kinds of quarters to do something different than we've done already on this Israel policy. And the fact that they they being the Biden administration, continue to not want to say ceasefire. They do not want to use the word de-escalation. But you see the pressure building every day from all parts of government and beyond. How are you reading that? Yeah, I think that there's a generational uh, gap right now, frankly, between the president and traditional Democrats uh, versus where the next generation of voters and activists are on this. And I think that gap is being exposed right now. Um, I think that the president is you know, respectfully just out of step and out of tune with that. Uh, and, and, he's, and he's kind of seeing, I think, in real time, uh, the very real and passionate voices within the Democratic Party who think that the, the, the old party line of just blindly standing by Israel and that Israel could do no wrong, like that, that's not going to cut anymore. That's not where mm-hmm. a lot of Democrats are. And they're going to have to navigate that because uh, he is looking – um, every day, more and more out of touch with where uh, a lot of Democrats are on this. Yep. I referenced a moment ago these 400 U.S. officials. Let me give you a, a bit more information about that. Um, more than 400 political appointees and staff members representing some 40 government agencies sent a letter to President Biden uh, today protesting his support of Israel in its war in Gaza. So all across the board, he's getting more and more pressure uh, vis-a-vis his policy on Israel. Let me close by asking uh, you this question, Kurt Bidella. You are a Democratic strategist. Um, In the long run, if this continues unabated, if Biden doesn't get the message sooner than later uh, to talk about ceasefire and de-escalation, is this the kind of thing that will hurt him uh, when it comes to re-election or will we have forgotten about this by then? Or put another way, if Trump is the opponent, will it really not matter? And Joe Biden's calculating this just about right. Yeah, I don't think that it'll matter in terms of 2024, because ultimately any anyone who is a Democrat who might disagree with the president of Israel, well, they're not going to be in Donald Trump's corner either. So I'm not worried about that. But I, I do think that the generational gap that's being exposed here is a broader structural concern for the Democratic Party. Uh, that, you know, maybe not in 2024, but certainly after that, uh, Democrats are going to have to figure this stuff out and they're going to actually have to get back in tune or risk looking like they're completely out of touch yeah. with where the current generation of people uh, actually are, because this isn't old school Washington anymore. Yeah. And the Israel can do no wrong mentality, default mentality, the Democratic Party is just completely out of touch with where everybody else is. Kurt Bardella, Democratic strategist, uh, L.A. Times contributor. Good to have you on this program. All the best to you, sir. Have a great rest of the day.